Welcome to the show on influencing others for God's purposes. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and if you like change, you'll notice some changes in the way we approach the show. But if you dislike change, you'll be glad to know that first-class conversation remains at the heart of what we're doing. Our aim is to provide a show that supports you in influencing others for God's purposes, whatever that may look like in the context in which you live. Of course, it will feature conversations with leaders and experts on leadership themes, but also has a view to recognising that leadership influence doesn't always require a title. Each week, I will be aiming to invite guests to explore topics and answer questions, or at least have a look in the half hour we have available. And as always, it's available on Premier Radio at 4pm on a Sunday, or on podcasts via the major platforms. This week, we're looking at a topic that is less than pleasant, but leadership involves tackling problems and issues head on. The Christian church around the world has been expressing its horror at the outcome of the independent report into the late evangelist and apologist Ravi Zacharias, who died in May 2020, aged 74. A four-month investigation, which concluded a few weeks ago, found that the late Ravi Zacharias used his reputation as a world-class Christian apologist to abuse massage therapists in the United States and abroad over more than a decade. A chronic back condition had provided a perfect cover for him, and it seems he has lured victims by building trust through spiritual conversations and included use of funds that have been donated for other causes. You can find more about this story at uh, Premier Christian News. You will know that Ravi is not the first high-profile leader to have a shadow side. And as we pray for his victims and those whose own faith may well be shaken by this, and as we recognise the extreme nature of this situation, we're wise to consider the challenges and temptations that may come to those in a leadership role. So I'm delighted this week to be joined by the Reverend Andre Radmel. Andre is an Anglican minister and has a private practice as a therapist. He's worked as a lecturer with London School of Theology and CWR, is the author of a number of books, including Insight into Addictions, and his latest book, which has the working title of Action, looking at changing the stories we live out. I was fascinated to hear what he had to say about this key topic, and I think you'll be fascinated by the challenge he gives to ensure that our inner worlds and outer worlds match. I think the first thing to say is I haven't brought you on the show to talk about Ravi Zacharias as such. It's a dreadful business and, of course, behind the pattern of behaviour was a man who most recognised as a fine apologist and writer. So we're not going to attempt to give answers to this particular situation, even if we could. However, we do hope that look at the pressures and challenges behind leadership in general may be a salutary help to us all, however small or great our own personal influence uh, might be. Well, I think it's incredibly sad and distressing whenever these kind of cases come up and uh, these situations arise. Obviously, it's, it's not the, the only one that's arisen. For me, of course, the priority is, uh, as you said, actually, to pray for those who've been affected and have, in a lot of cases, been silenced or sidelined. And really, I feel that that's for me a central point never to be kind of missed or to be obscured which is the effect uh, that this kind of uh, action has on on people who are the victims of it and I do feel that from a Christian point of view uh, my reading of the Gospels is that Jesus's heart was very much for those who were 
on the receiving end of misused authority and abuse. So I think that's, uh, that's my starting point when I start to think about this. So few of us lead international charities with a kind of reputation uh, that means that the Vice President of the United States would show up at our funeral, uh, as happened in the case of Ravi Zacharias. But what are the kind of challenges that any Christian leader faces? And I'm thinking perhaps particularly of those in, in church leadership where people will, a congregation might look up to them and, um, and value what they say. Yeah, I mean, this has been something I've been thinking about and uh, working on a bit for a few years now, which is what is it that makes a healthy church? And that has to include what is it that makes healthy leadership? And for me, <clears throat> there are there are particular uh, stresses and pressures that are to do with the role, but I, th I think that's partly down to how the incumbent of that role is is operating as well. So it's not, of course, unusual for leaders to load themselves up with quite a lot of responsibilities, uh, maybe quite high-profile conference uh, talk giving or writing books or whatever. And these things, of course, are not bad in themselves, but they, they can create quite a burden in terms of having to fulfil a public persona. And I think that is unique to some ways in which leadership is done. And I think when that kind of thing happens, for me, the risk is, does that person's public persona actually start to separate away from their personal inner life? And I think for me, the gap, as it widens between those two things, the wider the gap, the greater the risk. Uh, and also the greater the pressure to kind of maintain this this kind of external um, persona, really. So I think I think that is a unique thing that I see in some forms of leadership in the church. We know on a personal level that if uh, someone looks up to us, we feel good. Uh, indeed, it's you know it's hard to be humble, isn't it? Um, in, in certain situations. Yeah, I think that's always the risk, isn't it? We're only human, and uh, not that that's any excuse for uh, abuse, because I think that 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 is um, something that we should not expect from our leaders, of course. Uh, but there, there is this pressure that comes with the expectations of other people, but also what you're pointing out, really, Andy, which is the self-worth and reward we can get emotionally from being in that position. And um, nobody's immune to that. I'm not immune to that as a leader. Uh, it feels nice when people praise you for what you've done and it's quite uh, an attractive route to go down. And it's very easy to slip into looking for approval through the role rather than a sense of well-being and worth through our relationship with Jesus. So I need to look at the, the, the nature of the sin that took place, uh, which, of course, is surrounding sexual sin as, as, as well as other areas. Now, you've heard the saying, all sin is sin, but sexual sin seems to have a particular repercussions that make it different. Would that be fair? I certainly do think it has uh, serious repercussions on the victim of sexual sin, uh, because uh, really not that we can, um, in a sense... Uh, separate out or have a grading system for sin. Yeah, I think there is something about sexual sin which is unique and is particularly destructive 
And that's because of two things. One is that it strikes at somebody's sense of identity and their core sense of well-being. Uh, and the other is that there's often a lot of shame attached to it. And those two things, shame and identity being uh, potentially traumatised even, I think does make it a very serious issue. Um, and then if you overlay onto that, if there's any some sort of cover-up whereby even the person who's flagging up that something's gone wrong is um, A, not heard, and B, potentially uh, treated as, as if they've got a problem, which some people would describe as gaslighting. I think all these things are really quite destructive to a person, so therefore they are, from a psychological point of view, quite serious. Now, of course, uh, many would say, well, if you look at the Bible, you you, you see individuals who, who sinned, um, the likes of Abraham and David and Solomon all all had uh, areas of their life where sexual sin was an issue. That said, in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles seem very clear on what's expected uh, of the people of God. Um, so what, what should we understand in terms of how the Bible looks at things? I think the first thing to say about this is that people do sometimes point to people like David or Abraham in the Bible. But of course, as, as, as I understand it, that's, that's not, uh, those stories and those examples are, are not things that God is uh, a, a, in any sense approving of. They do happen in, in people's lives. But uh, as you say, the New Testament, I think, and the Old Testament actually make it really clear that God um, doesn't sanction that. Uh, but moreover, that it's, it's, it's often flagged up by a Paul in his writings as, as an area of uh, sin, let's say, that is particularly toxic and damaging. It's damaging to relationships and therefore it affects the body of the church and the community of the church. And it's also damaging to the individual personally as well. So, uh, yeah, I would say that 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 argument that I do sometimes see getting used, uh, that, well, it's in the Bible, and people in the Bible fell in this particular way. So, you know, therefore, somehow that makes it more acceptable isn't doesn't really work for me because that, that's not apparently what God's point of view on it is. Having said that... Of course, when we read back uh, through Hebrews, in particular in the book of Hebrews, uh, or the letter of Hebrews, there, there seems to be a sense of redemption for these people who've been through those kind of um, behaviours. So on one hand, we have to, I think, hold that redemptive position that in Christ all things can be made new, all things can be redeemed. But I also feel that on the other hand we need to hold that sense that Jesus I think did represent in his ministry that it isn't acceptable for leaders to be whitewashed sepulchres and be one thing on the outside and something completely different on the inside and somehow we hold these two positions uh, simultaneously. That's a really helpful perspective of uh, Andre. So let's look at the fact that there's the public profile that individuals might have. Do you think that the temptations are greater the bigger the public profile? You know, would you say that the enemy of our souls attacks those with particular influence because he knows the damage that we could be caused? Well, 
at first look, it, it does make sense, of course, and uh, it would seem logical. But I think I would put it in a slightly different way, which is that I think the the chances of this kind of thing happening are greater, as I was saying earlier, the, the more distance there is between a person's inner world and their outer world. The, the less authenticity there is, the less integrity there is, um, then the more opening there is, if you like, for, um, for the person to be uh, move into these kind of very toxic areas. So I think visibility does have its own inherent risk, inherent risks. Uh, fame has its own inherent risks. Um, but does the, does the devil go after people in those circumstances more than others? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would know how to answer that. But Many, of course, have come to faith through Xavier Rakuas's ministry and indeed people like him who subsequently, we discover, had areas that were not healthy spiritually. And so people ask the question, so how can God bless someone who's living such a double life? So, so that's a really good question. And that, that, that does come up quite a bit. Uh, around this sort of issue and I've seen different perspectives on this I've certainly seen I suppose that one on one hand the perspective that really all of the work and the output of somebody whose uh, who's inner life or secret life has been telling a completely different story in inauthenticates in the the product or the books or the um, the teaching and therefore all of it becomes in a sense contaminated and I think at the other on the other hand you've got the approach which is that God can still use uh, and utilize teaching that is inherently speaking of truth and from a position of truth uh, now I think that the 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 way I would look at it is that it in fact it's somewhere between those two positions so um, I, I've, I would say that if I would have to say that I, uh, God can use people's uh, output, even if their own lives are pointing another, in another direction, because God can use uh, God can use anything really for His purposes, in a sense. However, I wouldn't want to underestimate the damage that something like this can do in terms of not just someone's reputation, but in terms of the authenticity that lies behind their work. And I think this is where the toxicity of it all starts to come in, which is, is really all coming back to the same thing for me, which is about how authentic the person's life is, does actually play into their work and, and into the, the things they say, the books they write, the talks they give. Now, if those two things have shown to not be matching up, then I think we we do have a bit of a problem with 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 seeing the product as completely separate to the person. So, given that we're we all and this side of heaven are battling some kind of you know sinful behaviour or whatever, we we'll all have struggles. What can a congregation expect of a leader, given that none of us are going to be perfect? Well, I think accountability goes some way towards it, but uh, in my experience, accountability is a very patchy and unreliable <laughs> way to, to manage uh, this kind of issue. 
I wouldn't want to denigrate accountability. I think it is useful, but I don't think it's the whole answer to the question. Um, I think that there there needs to be a bit more of an internal shift for the person. Maybe I'm speaking more psychologically here, whereby, and I see this in Christians across the board sometimes in my work, there's sometimes a little bit of an avoidance of the shadow side and uh, and an unwillingness sometimes to really face and engage with those things about ourselves as leaders that are um, we maybe feel ashamed of, we think we shouldn't be feeling like that, we shouldn't be thinking like that, we shouldn't be tempted like this. And there tends to be a bit of shame around those areas. So because of that, there's, a, there's also a tendency to not speak about it or to try to just compartmentalise it off to one side. So, okay, accountability is great, but I would say it needs to be the kind of relationship where those things can be brought into the conversation, talked about uh, in a safe space and and kind of looked at because I think without that it's it's really just um, almost bolting the, the, the door after the horse has bolted to be honest uh, you know I think it's all it's often too little too late I think it really starts in the heart rather than at the sort of accountability level what's going on in the person's heart and how much can they engage with speaking about these things be vulnerable around these areas with other people, that I think will diffuse a lot of the tension that can end up leading people to act out. So given the challenges that leaders face, do you think accountability structures are, are actually the answer, get decent accountability and all will be well, or is it more deep than that? I think we should expect our leaders to be people who are working through their issues somewhere in their lives. Uh, what I think we shouldn't expect is people who are not working through stuff and are kind of very in their heads and out of touch with their um, emotions and operating from a very sort of head-only kind of knowledge-based place because I think that's, that's not helpful to the congregation, it's not helpful to the people listening to it because it's a bit disengaged from the real world and it's disengaged from people's real experiences. Um, I remember when I was very first exploring the possibility of becoming a, a vicar, a minister, and I heard somebody say, "What?" I went to a workshop about what leadership looked like in the Church of England, and I heard somebody say, uh, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a vicar who knows the Bible inside and out and can preach amazing sermons, uh, but seems to be perfect, or a vicar who maybe doesn't preach quite so well, but is able to talk about how they've worked through their own stuff um, and is able to engage with other people working through their stuff. And I thought, yes, I think I'd rather have the second because I can relate to that. Yeah. And and to be honest, I think that's, that's what kind of a leader we should be expecting. Um, I do think we should not be expecting somebody who ends up abusing other people and committing sexual, um, well, whatever we want to call it, um, this kind of sexual behaviour that is abusive to other people. I don't think we should be expecting that. And, um, yeah, 
I, I don't think that's part of the deal. So, Andre, you've written on addictions, uh, and the issue we're considering today has elements of addiction attached to it, of course. Um, your insight into addictions book has, has been a real help to many. Um, so I appreciate you would, you'd need longer to unpack this, and you've written a whole book, so you can't give a, a, a summary answer necessarily very easily. But what would be some of the things that could be said that might help someone listening spot when something is getting a grip on them? I think we spot them in ourselves when we feel that some part of our lives is, is out of control, uh, whether it's around uh, drinking or pornography or alcohol or whatever it is. Uh, I think when it gets out of control, it's kind of driving us rather than we're driving it. The other thing about addiction is that it's it usually starts with us perhaps feeling lonely and unable to share the stresses that we're going through. So, and that includes sharing it with God. Uh, and maybe shame is one of the big blockers for us uh, as people from sharing with, with others. And in those circumstances, there's a bit of a tendency to reach out to something that will fix it quickly and to will decrease our anxiety and just shut us off and numb us out, make us feel a bit better. And there's a whole list of things that we could reach to that would do that and do it quite successfully. And of course, addiction happens when that becomes a habit that then becomes a, a dependency. I think in terms of what we can spot in other people, um, if we're thinking about um, people we work with or leaders or in people in our families, people we're close to, I, I think that some of the warning signs are when people um, kind of seem to become more secretive, uh, different aspects of life seem to be un, unaccounted for as to where they were, what they were doing. Um, and there's often a bit of a disconnect in people that they... They even appear to be quite capable and on top of everything, but don't really share any vulnerability, don't really share any struggles. I'm always a bit nervous around that because you wonder where's it all going on because everybody's got stuff that they're working through um, unless they're completely avoiding it. But how do you keep a lid on that? Well, again, things like addiction can help to do that until it all unravels, of course, and falls to pieces, which it usually does at some point. Um, so there's a couple of things, yeah. The likelihood is, of course, Andre, that, that some of those listening may be battling with the kind of things that we've been discussing today in one way or another. Um, obviously, you're a therapist, so I guess you would be wanting to encourage that kind of thing or uh, what might be called counselling or coaching or, or spiritual direction. Would they be, these be the places that we should go? Yeah, totally. I think that for me, finding uh, a counsellor or somebody that's a safe person that you can talk freely with is a great relief for a lot of people. And it's also a chance to just unpack a bit what, what is going on. We're, we generally only have a partial understanding of ourselves as to what's driving us, why we do the things we do. And it's helpful to have a bit of space to unpack that and to get to look at maybe different ways of relating to ourselves, as this is a bit related to the book that I've got coming out in the summer, um, how we could create and perhaps a different story about ourselves. A lot of us have inherited quite negative stories, really, from our backgrounds or our culture or family or 
even church, unfortunately, sometimes. So um, counselling does give that bit of space to process, but also to build something new um, that is really hopeful and redemptive. Well, thanks so much, Andre, for all that you've uh, shared on a, a really challenging and painful topic. You're a blogger. So how can people uh, read you? Yeah, so people can get me at uh, the blog platform, which is called Medium, medium medium.com, and just use my name, which is Andre Radmal, R-A-D-M-A-L-L. I can also be found through andreradmal.com. Thank you for speaking with such courage and such insight. So clearly on, uh, succinctly on this key topic for leaders, wherever they may be. I was interested to discover that all of us need to do well and reflect on whether we have a sense of integrity about how we live. No one's asking you to be perfect, but are you working on those areas that you think could trip you up? And are you close enough to others to help you with your blind spots? So the encouragement is to get help if you need it uh, and don't wait a moment longer without it. Do the right thing now. And let's be in prayer for those who've been through the awful ordeal of being abused in whatever way by those in power. So until next time, may you take the opportunities you have to influence others so that good may triumph over evil and God's will may be done. Mm -hmm.